morning, everyone. It is so good to be here with you this morning. I am thankful for the day that the Lord has provided for us. That song, Save, Save, Saved, is a favorite of mine because the first time I heard it was at Falls Creek. Does anybody know, remember Bill Green? Boy, Bill Green, he was a guy that uh, he, he loved to sing. He loved to bring the best out of people. And I remember going to Falls Creek and uh, getting on the bus, and you had all your instruments there because they still had the orchestra at that time. And, and uh, as soon as you got off the bus, you, you got into your cabin, and you went down if you're going to play an instrument. And I mean, it was a glorious thing. And the first song he would practice was this one right here. It was in Impressive. And so the kids would come back and you know, they'd talk about, you know, about the choir because they still had a choir then as well. And uh, it, uh, it was just an amazing thing because it's still under the old tabernacle, hot as can be, you know, and <laughs> amen on that. You know, I always wondered how much ink is in those benches. Does anybody remember the benches down there? How many pounds of ink were in those benches? Now, here's one that's going to really make you feel icky. How many pounds of sweat do you think were in those benches? <laughs> But anyway, we're sitting in there, and first time I ever heard this song when it was really, I mean, 6,000 people singing this song. And I mean, it, I, I just, I, and I had a, a vision in my mind that when we sing that, when we sang it then and we sing it now, it's about raising the roof about what Jesus does and what, he, what I am in him. You see, that's what it's all about, is about praising him for who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. And we see that in our text today about what God is, has done in, in, the, in their lives, in the Israel's life. And we're still in Joshua chapter 3 as we're going along into this, um, we're touring through Joshua. And we come to a time now in Joshua's and in, in his leadership. And we come into a time of Israel as they begin to now take possession of the land, the promised land. They have to do something. They have to cross a river. They have to cross a river, and let me set the stage for you. The stage is that this river is the River Jordan, and where they're crossing is about 15 feet deep at normal level. And you'll see it in the text that the normal level is not normal right now because it says it's during the harvest time or during the, the planting time, and the River Jordan is out of its banks. And so the, the, the Hebrew is very specific about this, that it not only was out of its banks, it's overflowing, and it was raging river. And so we, uh, Israel now comes to face this. They have to cross it. Have you ever come to a river? Have you come to a big piece of water? And you're just thinking about the magnitude of that water? I have stood at the, uh, the banks of the Niagara Falls. And the water coming down through there, it seems very calm as it comes down through there. But when it goes over the falls, I mean, it's just a powerful thing. I've stood at the ocean before and looked at the ocean as the waves come in, and a little bitty wave, not more than my ankles, knocked me completely off my feet. Can you imagine what it is about Israel now? They're going into the promised land, or, or they're about to, and they come up to the Jordan, and it's overflowing, and it's raging that, those waters. And we have to think about what their mindset would be. Their mindset would be, oh boy, something else. We have, we have wandered in this desert for 40 years. We know that 40 years previous that God has brought us through the, the Red Sea. And he's, and he's taking care of us with manna and quail. And we, he's taking care of us so far. But now, here we're going to go on the promised land. And there's one more thing to do. 
What's really interesting about this text is that, uh, that God has them there for a reason. And we know this, that the Bible's there for a reason. But he has them for a reason because, you see, everything that previous to this, God has kind of done for them. The pillar of cloud and parting the Red Sea and all those things. Now it's up to them whether or not they're going to trust God. This is a biggie. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that really expresses how, how the magnitude of this text is. As they come up to this, are they going to trust God and his plan? Because you see, God is living, leaving it up to them because the way to get across this, they have to get into the river before anything happens. So faith and trust is at the very highest level here. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But when we think about this, we think to ourselves, if we come up to, those, to a raging river or we come up to a massive problem and we know that God wants us to, to face this problem or cross this, whatever it may be in that path, will we trust him to see us through? Because I want to tell you right now, before we even read it, I want to show you the meat of this text and the meaning of this text, and it's in verse 10. And I want you to keep this in your heart. I want you to write this. If you take notes or if you write in your Bible, highlight this, whatever you need to do. It says this, and as he's talking to Joshua, we're going to read everything in just a moment, but he says, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. I pray that every day for you, church, that you know that the living God is among you. He's among us in this world today. Amen. Thank heavens for that. That he's among us and, and we know that he has a plan and he has things for us to do. But the, once again, are we going to trust him? But faith and trust are at the highest level here. Well, let's dig deep into this today. There's so much to preach here, but I really want to talk about what it means. What it means, and this is your key word today, embrace embrace. What does it mean to embrace the Lord God and his plan? Because I'm going to go a little bit further here because embrace means this. It means that you lean into him. You ever hug somebody? You can't hug anybody like this. Almost brought Nathaniel up for that because this man is a hugger for sure. And, uh, and uh, I'm telling you, he'll come, come up here. We'll show you. I'm going to do it anyway. Look at that. He's leaning. Oh boy. Yeah. There we go. Let me catch my breath for a minute. <laughs> One was kind of like, oh, no. And, uh, but you lean into him, and that's what embrace means. So there are several things here this morning I want you to lean into God with and embrace them. Because when you embrace them, it means that I'm taking responsibility for it or I'm taking action for it. And so let's stand together as we read this this morning. In Joshua chapter 3, you're going to read from verse 7 to 13 this morning. And for me, I have to embrace the fact that I cannot see as well as I used to. I am not leaning much forward into that, by the way. Starting in verse 7, it says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. That's what we're doing here today. Come here and hear the words of the Lord God. 
And Joshua said, by this, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will surely dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Pezrite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. And when it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. Let's pray about that. Lord God, we just thank you so much. And thank you, God, for your ever-loving presence with us. And Father, help us know that you're with us today. And then, Father God, we will quiet our minds, quiet our hearts. And then, Father God, we will put off those things that distract us and concentrate on you today. And about your love for us and of what we can embrace in this text. And then, Father God, as we embrace the text, we know we're embracing you. And Father God, I know that there are many things that we would try to back away from. Let's not back away from you this morning. Let us not back away from the truth of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the eternal truth of God. And so I thank you, God, as we're here. Overshadow us with the Holy Spirit this morning that we may leave here so filled with the Holy Spirit that we cannot but yet speak of what we, you've done for us today. And thank you, Lord God, my, my Savior Jesus Christ, as I finish this, that those who put their faith in you are saved, saved, saved by your power sublime. We thank you and praise you, O Lord. It's in that name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I know if I came up to a river like that, and I've talked about some of the waters, what would be my tendency? Well... I hope I wouldn't reverse and turn away and say, I don't want to cross that. Because, you know, reverse is really kind of a hard thing. And we know that reverse doesn't really fit in our lives. You know, I have been in my life, and I know you have as well, that you've put on a shirt on backwards. Have you ever put a shirt on backwards? Does it fit? And you just know something's wrong, right? Something's just not right. I know when I was a child that the, I knew that my shoes did not fit right if I put them on the wrong feet. And I was kind of hopeless because I time to time put my socks on the wrong feet too. But All right, I worked on that. I worked on that. I guess I'm way too subtle on that. I remember one time I put the chain on my chainsaw on backwards. And I thought for, for the life of me that I had the world's worst chainsaw. And it barely, and you know, it scratched and everything, and it ran, and it did its thing. And I went home, and I told my grandfather, I said, you know, I said, this chainsaw is not worth nothing. I said, I went out there, and I tried to cut it and everything. And he looked at it, and he's just kind of got a bit of a tickle, and he's, and he's looking at me. He says, son, uh, turn it around the right way. You got it on backwards. So reverse really doesn't work because we know that, uh, that uh, the right way is the correct way, right? I know that when we live in our world today, that there's a lot of backward thinking, a lot of backward 
tendencies or reversing tendencies, if you will. I've seen in our, my lifetime, and I thought I never would, to see how much we try to reverse our own history as a nation. It happens, and it's happening in our, our world today. You know, we need to tell our kids the truth about our nation. Yeah, we've had our troubles. Yeah, we've had our sins. But tell them about the truth of the men who created this nation, taking the chance. So we shouldn't reverse history just because it's convenient or it serves our purpose. Today, we're even trying to reverse our own biology. The things that God had set forth, and he says in chapter 1 that he made male and he made female, and we try to reverse that course. That's not in our power to do that. It's not in our power to reverse course when God has us for something to do. When I look at the world today and we see so much reversing or backwardness or upside-downness, if, if that's a word, we see it all through there. What I'm getting at is the fact that God has brought them here to a place. He didn't make a mistake. He's brought them to this place. He knew full well what he was doing. They have, they have wandered around in the desert for 40 years, and now it is time for them to take their possession, their land. And he has for them in this great river. He, didn't, he had this all planned out. It was for Israel's benefit. Now, folks, it's for our benefit, too, when God puts something in our path that he wants us to cross. It was, for their, it was for their benefit because by this, and go back to verse 10, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. You see, if they went across that thing, and they just went across it, and they went into the land and everything... You see, God had prepared for them not only the faith and the trust, which is at the highest level here, but them to remember, because you'll see at the very end of all this, may not have time today, but he puts memorial stones up, each one of them to put a memorial stone in the river, 12 stones, and then outside the river, so people will come by and say, why are these stones here? Well, let me tell you about what God has done here. You know that this place right here is God's memorial, every one of you. Not only that, this church, that he built this church. That we must understand that God has been here before us and will be here with us and he will be in the future with us as well. Folks, we cannot, we cannot displace him from our lives. Because the, he has them here for a reason. And faith and trust, as I said, and I'm going to keep repeating that. You see, everything about that is the faith and trust at the highest level. Because what is going to transpire is a testimony of God. And as we go out to the, our, our families today, as we go out into our, our world today, are we being a living testimony of what God has done in our lives? As a church, are we being a living testimony to the world out there, to Lindsay America, and, and to further on? Are we being the testimony that he's called us to be? And not only that, but doing what he's called us to do as well, because that's part of the testimony. You see, the thing is, this testimony of God's faithfulness. Aren't you thankful for God's faithfulness? That when he says something, he's going to do it. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his word. And I try to live by that. that I try to live by the fact that, uh, you know, that my word is my bond. And we need to live by that. Live by the fact that, that God's word is his bond to us. But talks about the faithfulness, the majesty. And here it is, folks, the desire for his people. God has a great desire for us. He has a great expectation for us, too. We're going to see in that in just a moment. But you see, what we have is God saying, okay, 
Try me. Test me. Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And follow me. So when we look at this, we see that, that uh, this lesson in this faith and trust, if we came up to those waters, and as a church, let me just say this, as a church, we will come across our own obstacles. We will come across our own challenges. We will come across those things that seem completely impossible. And what are we going to do? If it was me alone and I didn't understand some things, maybe I would say, no way. Uh-uh. God, you have got it completely wrong. You know, I did that when I was 18 years of age in the, about the pulpit. That God had called me into the pulpit at age 18. And I said, uh-uh. Nope. Get out of here. And for 12 years, I ran away from him in that. You see, Jonah only ran for a little while. I was, I was a special case. I ran for 12 years. Can't be done. Nope. Don't want it. God in his faithfulness, you see, is patient with us. But we cannot be locked so much in our ways that we just cannot, that we, we just cannot come up and say, nope, can't be done. Because there's going to be challenges out there, folks. And I'm telling you, they're going to be ever-present. And they're going to be more than we've ever faced before. And we have to be ready for it. That's the reason why in this book of Joshua it tells us about, well, verse 10, by this you'll know that the living God is among you. And so when we look at that, we see that we cannot be locked in our ways and refusing to believe. Now, they were walking up there, and there's, I mean, right now there's anywhere between 1.5 million and 2 million of them. And so it's a pretty good big undertaking. And so when we look at that, we see that, 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 that God had that plan for them to go across, and, and they're looking across the river at all this, and do you think in their heart they're saying, what has God done to us now? I hope not. But we cannot be so locked in our ways and just refuse that God, there's no way you can do that. You see, we have to rise to the challenge. And that's what God is asking you to do, rise to the challenge. Even though it's intimidating, even though those things, and he can overcome. Let's not be so locked in our ways that God cannot, that cannot be that force in our church. And be that presence and be that overwhelming, consuming that he's among us. And so what I mean by that is, is that let us not be so locked in our ways that we cannot see where he's taking us. I don't have all the answers. I'm a human being just like the rest of us. But I do know that God has a great desire for Aaron Springs Baptist Church. You know what that desire is? Because God has a desire for all of us. You know what that desire is? And I believe it because the scripture backs us up to know and love God. Amen on that. When we are here today, our job is to know and love God. And so to know him more fully. And not only to know him, but to serve him faithfully. I saw this very powerful video of, of uh, Franklin Graham talking about his dad. He got to talk to his dad about three days before Billy Graham passed away. He says, you know, I had in my mind, and when dad passed away, he took his last breath on this earth that he got, to, he got to thinking about how heaven welcomed Billy Graham. Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words. Because God, he's t Jesus told us that, didn't he? I want to hear those words. Now, it's not an ego thing. I just want to, I, I, I want to hear what God is, is pleased with what we've done here.
of what I've done here, to faithfully and serve and glorify him. And I have that same desire for the church as well, that we faithfully desire and serve him. To know and love him, to faithfully serve and glorify God. And here's, and really this is our, our mission statement. You see on the front of your bulletin, to bring as many into the kingdom as possible. This is real stuff, folks. Just as this river is raging and there is potential death in this Jordan, we know that this world is wasting away. It is coming to an end, and I think it's coming quicker and quicker and quicker. Because I just, I don't know. I mean, I have seen so many things in my lifetime, and I'm telling you that this world is, is ramping up into an end, a conclusion. And we read it in the end of this great book, and it tells us that Jesus is coming, and it's going to be the end of all things. And then he'll set up his new heaven and new earth. And until that time, we as a church are to put as many into heaven and to get them into the kingdom as possible. Now, we're just to deliver the message that the Holy Spirit does that. I'm not going to... Don't go out and tar and feather me right now. That's not our job. I don't want that. But we have to rely on the word of God and the power of God and the faithfulness of God. And that is his purpose for the church. To bring to the, the gospel to as many as possible. Once again, there's going to be challenges on that. The Bible doesn't shirk away from that. You know, it's one of the things I like about the Bible is this is it shows all the warts and wrinkles of people. I mean, it does, doesn't it? It shows all the warts and wrinkles. It shows all the problems they have. doesn't shy away. And there is nothing that, that the Bible won't expose. And what I mean when I say that is, is that um, God's not shy about telling us that there's going to be issues. Jesus told us that. But as a church, are we willing to come up to a river at flood stage? Come up to a problem that seems overwhelming and put our feet in the water. Let's look at what it says here because it says that um, as we look at this and these things to embrace. Now that's my headings here. Those things to embrace, lean into purposely. I got thinking about that quite a bit and it's like, oh, do we lean into these things purposely? The first thing I want you to lean into is in verse 7 and 8. I want you to lean into the fact that the Lord God is a God of order. Look at verse 7. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. God had a plan. He'd, he'd already figured it all out. I mean, even from the foundation of the world, God has figured it all out in his sovereignty and his power and in, in his, um, his great knowledge that way beyond me. But you see, the Lord God is a God of order. Look at what we have in the order here. He's got the right leader in Joshua. Joshua was Moses number two for 40 years. And he says back in chapter one, you're my man. So we have the right leader. We have the right time flood stage. You would think, oh man, that wouldn't be the right time. The right time is wait until, you know, the water went down. You see, we cannot think that way. We have to know that God has this for the right time. And he has the right plan. And the right plan is that um, when you come to the edge of the waters, you shall stand still in the Jordan. That's not, I mean, I think I need more plan than that. 
But we have the right leader, the right time, the right plan, because God, he's going to execute his plan. And we have the right place, of course, the Jordan. Folks, this is a very important point that we have to know that the God that we serve is a God of order and not disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He is not on his throne wringing his hands thinking, oh, what have I done on this earth? There's none of that. He is a God of order. He has put forth in his word the the order that he has put things in. You go to chapter 1 of Genesis and you'll see he is a great God of order. That as he brought everything into from, from creation, from the creation of the world, everything has its order. And he said, and by their kind that you shall reproduce in in these things. And we see that you shall be fruitful and multiply. And then he comes down to Adam and Eve and he creates man and he creates woman. And he has a unique creation for that. And so he's created order in that, that there is a man, there is a woman. And therefore, that is all there is. But you see, we don't like the order sometimes. We want to disorder things because it makes us feel better that we're in control. Couldn't be further from the truth. So we see that he is a God of order from creation to our new creation. Now think about it for a moment. Now I'm thinking from creation to new creation that I am a new creature in Christ. And he has ordered my steps. That I know that I look in Psalm 139 and you'll see that God has ordered my steps. He knows when I rise. He knows when I sit down. Even before I do them. But as a new creation, that he has also ordered my life, that my life is now belongs to Jesus Christ, and that is in the right order, that I belong to him. He is in me. I am in him. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the same blessings. Amen. He is a God of order. And the God of order says that you're going to spend your life serving me. You see the order there? And faithfully serve me. And at the end of the life, when you take your last breath, You won't be worried about your portfolio. You won't be worried about your boat. You'll be ready to meet Jesus Christ face to face. You see, that's the order. And the great order is is that we'll be with him forever and ever. Everything that God has done is in order. Just look at Romans chapter 1. If you look at Romans chapter 1, you see the world we live in today when we try to think things out of order. Now, I don't have time to preach all of Romans 1, but I'm going to let you just see it on your own. You see, he is a God of order and planning. When we look at Ephesians chapter 1, we see in the fullness of time that God has the fullness of time. And he brings things about in the fullness of time, just as they're here in the Jordan. It's the fullness of time. And so Ephesians 1 talks about intention and purpose and fullness of time. I am so thankful that my faith and my hope rest not in me or government. That my faith rests completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Can you honestly say those things? Now I'm nothing special. I mean, I don't want to ever make people think that I'm some special. You see, that, that grace is available to all. I get the privilege of preaching it. When we look at this, we see that intention and purpose and fullness of time. You see, God has an order for those things, and we are a product of that order. I believe that we are put together this morning just as God intends. And what are we going to walk away with? Well, I can tell you that the Lord God is an order, God of order and planning. Embrace that. 
Now here's where we put the, the meat on the bone here. Embrace that. How do I embrace the order of God? Well, what does God tell us to do? Love your Lord God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. I love that passage in Matthew because they asked him, said, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you love the Lord your God. You'll find that again in Deuteronomy chapter 6, even before you see God is a God of the Old Testament and New Testament, and we'll see it right there. That that's God's intention for us, embracing that. You know what the second one is? Love each other. The first and second greatest commandment is to love God with all of the fiber of our being and then to turn around to our neighbor and love them as well. You see, we embrace that. And knowing that we love him with our heart, soul, and mind, that we follow him and we learn from him and we, and, and we, we enjoy him. You ever think about to enjoy your relationship with Jesus? I want you to, I mean, you don't know, this is a rhetorical question. Do you enjoy your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you're, a, if you're blood-bought, you have a relationship with him, and you need to enjoy it. You need to enjoy it so much that you just say, God, my Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for me. And so the Lord God is a God of order and planning. I could probably stand up here for so much longer and talk about Psalms 139, how he planned you, how he planned for your life, how he planned for you right here, right now, to hear this message. And so we need to embrace that and say, God, I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and I want to show that to others. You see, that's God's desire for us, to embrace that. Second thing is this, and let's not miss this, by the way, that the Lord God, we need to embrace the fact that he's a God of miracles and wonders. I look out amongst you all, and you're all a miracle. You're all, you know, God has made, he knows, the, he knows every bit of your DNA. He knows every bit of how you're put together. He knows from the beginning of time, once again, I could preach Psalm 139 again. He is a God of miracles and wonders. Look at verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Do you ever wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to see you? I want to see the amazing, I want to see what you, what you have for me today. And Joshua's telling him, says, you're a God of miracles and wonders. And we see that again, and we see that um, we know that he's going to put them in the middle of the river. I think that got the people pretty excited, don't you? You're going to consecrate because God is going to do some amazing things. And I want you to see in verse 10 talks about the living God. Now, why would he put the living God on there? Now, remember where they came from. They came from Egypt. And there was a lot of gods over there. There was Ra, and there was a lot of lesser gods. And as they're going amongst into, as they cross that river, and they're going to cross that river, they're going to be facing other gods as well, of the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Pezzarites, the Amorites, and all of those. But he says the living God. Because all they had was wood and stone. All they had was maybe some earthworks and that sort of thing that they would build for their, for their gods. But he says this is the living God. 
And those gods never speak. They just kind of, you know, they dance around whatever they're going to do. But this is the living God who goes out before you. And he's going to do wonders. I want you to embrace the fact that God can do miracles. I look at my little granddaughter last night and she was so fussy. Oh, she just could not be consoled. And, you know, she's only a month old, so I'll give her a break. <laughs> but she was a little fussy last night. And I got to looking at her as, as her mom was trying to. And I think every grandparent had a shot at it and, uh, and dad had a shot at it. But you see, when mom took her. And I think, you know, that bond. But I looked at that little girl and I thought to myself, what an amazing miracle God has done. Almost made me cry. I guess it should. God is a God of miracles and wonders. I sent a text message this morning. I got sent one this morning about the sunrise. I didn't do that, did you? God is a God of miracles and wonders. Every breath that I'm taking right now, that you're taking right now, you didn't do anything to produce that. But God in his great design, he produces that for us. When I look among you, I think of what miracles and wonders he wants to do in your life. And the greatest, and that Paul called it a mystery, the mystery of the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Miracles and wonders. I think about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God. Amazing things. I think of the light raising of Lazarus. And I think of that, and if I may be, take just a moment, when, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus. He's coming out of that tomb, been there for three days, coming out of that tomb. And Jesus said, release him because he doesn't belong in grave clothes any longer. If you're here without Jesus Christ, you have grave clothes on. And with Jesus Christ, you don't need those grave clothes anymore because you'll spend eternity with him, miracles and wonders. Embrace that. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Then when you have an obstacle that's coming about in your life or you're faced with one that you never thought was coming or something of that, just know that our Lord God can handle any problem. We have to release it to him. We have to be willing to say, God, I can't handle this problem and be honest enough with him and say, I need you. Now, the great thing about our Lord God is sometimes he'll bring us to a problem and he, and he, and he wants us to handle it. He wants us to handle it. With, with him. And sometimes he'll handle it for us. But we have to depend on that. He's a God of miracles and wonders. Just as he's bringing them up to the edge here, you see, he has a plan for them. And we know that uh, the, the, and he, as he's told them that uh, these miracles and wonders here, he's told, them, he's told Joshua the plan. Now they have to go execute, execute the plan. When we look at this, we see that not only is he a God of order and planning, not only is he a God of miracles and wonders, he's a God of expectation. Look at verse 8. You shall moreover command the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. 
He has more for us here. It says in verse 13, And shall come about, when the, come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. So here's the expectation. The expectation is that the people get themselves ready. He's already told them to consecrate themselves. And what that means is there's some ritual washings they have to do. And they're consecrating themselves. And, and so they're getting ready to cross over. But then he has special instructions for Joshua and those priests. He tells them in verse 13, he says, When it comes about that the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord shall rest in the waters, then the waters will be cut off. Can you imagine? Now, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was good size. And it was made out of gold and carried on poles. There's poles slid through the, the sides. And it was made out of gold. Can you imagine how heavy this thing was? And those priests, the, only the priests could carry it and touch it, by the way. And so those priests had to come up to the water's edge. Now, everybody else, it says 2,000 cubits away. And he says, I want you to stay that far away because I want you to see what God is doing. Now, remember how many people are out there, right? And so they have to be 2,000 cubits away. So I did the math on it, and I'm not the best in math, but I think I got this right. Ten football fields are supposed to stay away from the ark. That's a long way. And so they're supposed to watch as they go down in there. Now these priests have got this, this on their shoulders as they're carrying it. Can you imagine coming up to the raging river and you've got this heavy gold um, box on your shoulder and God says, I want you to go in there and I want you to stand still in the midst of the Jordan. They come up to the water's edge and they're holding this. Can you imagine they're looking at each other? And then the ones in the front take a step. Oh, can you imagine what that was like as, they, as the water hit their feet? And the coolness of the water hit their feet and they began, I don't know if they shuffled or what, but I don't know. That would kind of be me. I think I'd want to shuffle in there. But then they started walking in the middle of the waters. And as they're walking along, can you imagine their, the, what's going on in their heart? They're faithfully following God. They're faithfully following and they walk out into this. And as they walk out there, they stand still in the middle of it. Look at verse... 14. And so it came about when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan that the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant for the people. And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, uh, Jordan, verse 15, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks all the days of harvest, that the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city which is now Zarethan, and those which were flowing down towards the Sea of Abba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and so the people crossed opposite Jericho. Oh, man, I'm telling you, that just gets me going. That they walked out there, and as soon as their feet touched the edge of the water, you saw the water doing something it doesn't do. It starts to stand up. The God is a God of miracles and wonders. The God is a God of miracles and wonders. And not only that, is He is a God of expectation. He expected those to walk into the Jordan because this was the memorial that we have followed God, and He is faithful to His word. 
And as they're standing there in the middle of that, it says in verse 17, And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. He did it again. Remember, when we crossed the Red Sea, they crossed over on dry ground. In the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Now we have to stop and think of ourselves. God is a God of expectation. Maybe he has you at the water's edge right now. God expects a step. He expects a response to his word. Standing still in the waters, trusting his plan. And the water was violent and it was raging. And that may be happening in your soul right now. That there is this war going on in your soul. It's like the Holy Spirit's been in you and knowing the, and, and gnawing at you and saying, there is, there, is, there is a peace. There is a peace for you. And there's a peace for you because God has not intended us to, to be in this violent, raging turmoil of our soul because there is rest for our soul, people. It is the Lord God, and he asks us to take a step into faith. Remember, faith and trusting him were key to this. And the Lord God, when we step out in faith to him, he will work. He is faithful to his word, and he will calm the rages. He will calm the violence. He will calm your soul. He will make you new. And he never disappoints. We must trust his word and take a step in his direction. The faithfulness of God will never disappoint. We sing that song, Trust Him, Only Trust Him. I love that song because... It's within our hearts. It's within our capacity to say, I trust. But many times we place our trust in things that are worthless. They have no meaning, have nothing lasting. And we have to get out of our mind that we can just go on and on and do it. We do the same things every day. We have to get out of our minds and saying that... that, that, um, that I can just continue on my own way without, without ever re- relenting or without ever re- releasing myself to Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we can never, we, we have to get out of this mindset of nope, can't do it, never done it that way before. Because it hinders us. I don't think it pleases God when his, when his people say, well, I know that's the plan, but I'd rather not. We have to do one more thing. I want you to think about the embracing the love of God, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it is. You embrace it. You lean into it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, as I take us to the end here, this is a great image of what the, the, the Jordan is a great image 
of what's happening to see sin has caused a great divide between us and God. Now, follow me here just for a moment. This great divide when Adam and Eve, and they're, they're at that tree, and they eat of the fruit. And the Bible tells us they eat of that fruit. And then Romans comes along and says, by the sin of one man, it has now spread to all men. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that sin has separated us from God, has created a chasm. And there's no way to cross that chasm on our own. None whatsoever. You can't be good enough. You can't buy it. You can't do any of these things. And I'm telling you, we have to, I, I'm, I am so passionate about this, that great divide between us and God. It is so vast that you will never be able to traverse it on your own. But God has created a way to cross over. Just as this river, there was one way to cross over that river, and that was the priest standing in the middle of it. And they had to trust God to stand in the middle of it, and, he's, and he was faithful to do what it is that he said he's going to do. And so if you're here without Jesus Christ, you have a chasm between you and God. And that chasm cannot be traversed any other way except by Jesus Christ and you placing your faith and trust in him. Taking a step out and saying, this is my life, and I know you've called me to, to, to yourself, and I'm going to take that step. And I'm going, to, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to embrace you. Because, folks, I'm telling you, if we embrace anything else that's going to fall short, and God will do amazing work immediately when they walked into the water, the, the water started piling up. When you ask Jesus Christ into your life, immediately God changes you. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that I've done the wrong things, and I know that my sin has separated me from you, but I want you, I want you, I want you to forgive me and to make me new. Immediately. Immediately that happens. You see, God has provided one way to cross over. You see, by faith, we step out into the faithfulness of God. And I love the fact, and I just wrote a few things down, and give me just a second here about what it means. It means I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. It means that the, the wrath of God that was over, was over me has now been forgiven. That the Lord God, he, he takes it and moves it as far as the east is to the west. That it's to be remembered no more. That I am truly forgiven. And I love the fact that, that sin has been covered. Not only covered, it's been wiped clean. That I had a debt to pay and Jesus paid that debt. Oh, folks, if we're here and we have never experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ and forgiving us today is the day. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, do not harden your heart in the day of salvation. And today is the day of salvation. Amen. He's made us new. I've talked about that. Made me brand new. Oh, I've yet to see what all that's like because I still look in the mirror and I see me. But when God looks at me, he sees brand new. And when I look into the things, I see that I'm joined with God, that he is in me and, and he, is, he is in me and I am in him. And we are joined together. No more alone ever, ever, ever. 
And I tell you, there's nothing quite like feeling alone. Last thing is made eternal. Eternal. We spoke about it. Life's sublime. Life is sweet because I'm saved, saved, saved. But it's about accepting and stepping out in faith. Last story, and then I'm going to be done. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And this rich young ruler told Jesus, Master, Rabbi, how do I have eternal life? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, you you keep my commandments. He says, I've kept all those commandments. And he named off three or four of them. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have because he's, he's rich. Sell everything you have and follow me. And the rich young ruler turned away and walked away because he was very wealthy. Now, you don't get to heaven by selling everything. What you do is you get to heaven by embracing the love of God and by embracing his grace and saying, I'll do whatever it needs to be done and I'll follow you. Where are we today? Where are we today? As a church, as, a, as, a church, as one who's saved, has God brought us to a place where we need to cross? If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, you're still on the banks of the Jordan. Wouldn't it be lovely, wouldn't it be great to step into the living water of Jesus Christ? You can have that today. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment, and I want, I want people to come and pray. Now, you may be, a, you may be a, a Christian for a long time. Come and pray about what God has. I mean, I don't have all the answers, and maybe God has laid something on you. Come and pray about that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, it is, I'd love to pray with you about that and tell you more. So you come this morning. Let us meet him. Let us meet him in the middle of that river. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you because you've given us this time. And Father God, I thank you because this word is so rich. And Father, this scene we could probably preach another 50 sermons on and never really get to the the depth of your word. That's how rich it is. But Lord God, we know that what we've seen today and what we've heard today through your word, through the Holy Spirit, is, Father, we come now to a time where we reflect, but, Father, also a time of action. And, Father God, I do not know what you have in all the hearts here, but we pray for them, and, Father God, we seek your glory. And I thank you and praise you, Lord, for all that you do. And let us come meet you now. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Would you?